Good evening, Rifters. This is Riffs and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riffwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riffwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today, we're here to talk to you about Tasha's optional class features. So, continuing on with our exploration of the new Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, there are a massive amount of new options available to classes. However, I am not actually talking about the 24 subclasses that are now exist, but an addition to those that is printed throughout this book. Most of the classes in the game have additional optional features and these are things that are not automatically included ever but are there as an option that players with dungeon master approval can add to their characters and this is not subclass related it is for the core classes optional features that can potentially be gained as the character levels up and what it's also kind of nifty about it is that they are all individualized like none of them are actually connected to one another it is not a situation where you automatically choose that at you know this level and that level you get these two connected features they're all individual things that just are there to add just more customization options to the character so uh this is gonna be a bit but we're just gonna go through all the options that are in here and uh, let's just go on alphabetical. So uh, first things first should be the alchemist or excuse uh, alchemist. Fuck the artificer. <laughs> I always play the alchemist artificer. So sorry about that. Freudian slip. It's the same thing. Nobody knows no, the difference. Is, trust me. <laughs> no, it is an important <laughs> distinction. Just because the alchemist is my favorite one does not mean that I should uh, just spread my biases without warning that it is a personal bias. Anyway, the Artificer is the only class that does not have optional class features, which is kind of odd. At a guess, it would be because of the fact that it is the newest class, as well as the fact that it is in this book, that it is actually fully reprinted to use in a world besides Eberron, that they just decided to not develop them for the class. But regardless of the reason, the Artificer does not actually have any optional class features uh, as the rest have gained in this book. So moving on to the Barbarian. Third level, Primal Knowledge. Uh, when you reach third level and again at 10th level, gain proficiency in one skill of your choice from the list of skills available to Barbarians at first level. This one's kind of neat. Uh, actually, a quick tangent also. none. Of these, as far as I've seen so far, at least, are you know mind-bogglingly huge deals. It mostly can be summed up as nifty or neat, just little features that just can help the character just fill in some of the things that might be a weakness to the class, or just to make more options available for the character to do more things. So it is a pretty common criticism that. A uh, lot of, you know, the melee type characters don't really get a whole lot on the skills front, you know, like a, you know, lore cleric or bard or rogue might potentially gain. So this feature 
giving at third level and 10th level an additional skill is a nice way to potentially just round out the barbarian. So nothing game-breaking, but again, nifty. And then another one at 7th level, Instinctive Pounce. As part of the bonus action, you take to enter your rage. You can move up to half your speed. That's awesome to me. So as someone who has played a Barbarian at length, it is honestly something that irked me that if you have the combat encounter where you'd start too far away, fuck you, Nathan, then having a feature like this to let you move a little bit more as a bonus action to actually get into melee range as a barbarian is really freaking convenient so if this was printed, i see no issue here <laughs> if this was printed at the at you know this time last year when we were you know at that point playing riftwick i absolutely would have been badgering nathan to potentially allow me access to this one because God, it can be frustrating if you're playing a melee character and can't get into melee range. So having just a simple feature like this can just be incredibly convenient to the right character in the right situation. So now moving on to bards. So something to mention also uh, for, uh, I think, all of the magic using classes, the very first additional option in these class features is additional spell options. So it is a very frequently debated topic like, wait, why can't, you know, bards use that spell or why can't warlocks use that spell? And a lot of that has at least attempted to be addressed in a lot of these features. So most classes have something like 20 spells or so added to their class's spell list, again, as an optional class feature to allow them access to those other spells to pick from. So it is, of course, DM control whether to allow those other spells to be chosen. But this is another one that I personally highly suggest that all dungeon masters just make the blatant statement because to just say okay because all that that does is just allow the character to choose additional spells like as their list it doesn't grant them more spells per day it does not grant them additional castings it is just more spells to pick from and that level of additional choice is something that i say you should say yes to always so next up to the actual other features that are available. Second level, Magical Inspiration. If a creature has a Bardic Inspiration die from you and casts a spell that restores hit points or deals damage, the creature can roll that die and choose a target affected by the spell and add the number rolled as a bonus to the hit points regained or the damage dealt. The Bardic Inspiration die is then lost. So Bardic Inspiration is like one of the core class features of the 5th edition Bard class. However, one of the common criticisms for that is the fact that the options are not very interesting, depending on just the exact style of person that is playing a particular style of Bard. So getting those two facts to line up can be tricky. And this just gives an option that everyone can agree is handy. More healing? or more damage by using that Bardic Inspiration die. Simple, clean, does not change the quantity that they have available, it just gives yet another option. Again, nifty. Next up, Bardic Versatility. 
Fourth level, whenever you reach a level in this class that grants the ability score improvement feature, you can do one of the following, representing a change in focus as you use your skills in magic. Replace one of the skills you chose for the expertise feature with one of your other skill proficiencies that isn't benefiting from expertise. Or replace one cantrip you learned from this class's spellcasting feature with another cantrip from the Bard spell list. And this is just a perfect example of what I was talking about before, about how a lot of class features lock in choices without the ability to change them. Normally, when you level up, you can change a spell, a leveled spell. Cantrips are locked when you chose them. And unless you specifically get bard, uh, if, unless you specifically get uh, DM approval to change a cantrip, by rules as written, a cantrip cannot be changed unless you're an artificer. So by having this bardic versatility option to just change a cantrip to a different one that might better suit you, it is only usable a couple of times when you get to, you know, 4, 8, 12, 16, or 19th levels, but flexibility yay so now moving right along to the cleric uh yet again a bunch of new spells potentially available to the cleric uh handy but moving right along to the actual class features available second level harness divine power you can expend the use of your channel divinity to fuel your spells as a bonus action touch your holy symbol utter a prayer and regain one expended spell slot the level of which can be no higher than half your proficiency bonus rounded up the number of times you can use this feature is based on the level you've reached in this class once at second level, twice at sixth, and thrice at 18th. Uh, regain expended uses when you finish a long rest. This is pretty nifty. Much like the Bardic Inspiration, Channel Divinity is another common feature that doesn't actually get used a lot of the time if it doesn't have an effect that the player, well, likes or remembers to use, in all honesty. So having this be an option to use it to regain a spell slot like, even if, you know, by the time you get to your max proficiency bonus of six, like, so yeah, you'll never regain more than a third level spell slot, but a third level, you know, cure wounds at the right time can be a massive, massive benefit. And the fact that you're able to use this feature as a bonus action, which then could let you cast the spell as your action, potentially, that is an awesome feature, in all honesty, and another one that just gives more options. I keep using that word. Anyway, cantrip versatility, fourth level. Whenever you reach a level in this class that grants ability score improvement, you can replace one cantrip you learn from this class's spellcasting feature with another cantrip from the cleric spell list. So I'm already seeing a pattern here. It looks like most, if not all, spellcasters are probably going to get some form of that at fourth level or so to be able to just give the option to retrain cantrips. Because there are just times where you end up picking one that you don't actually use. Eighth level, Blessed Strikes, replaces the Divine Strike or Potent Spellcasting feature. You are blessed with Divine Might in battle. When a creature takes damage from one of your cantrips or weapon attacks, you can also deal 1d8 radiant damage to that creature. Once you deal this damage, you can't use this feature again until the start of your next turn. That's cool. So once around, you could just do 1d8 extra radiant damage on a hit 
with a cantrip or weapon attack. And note that it does not say melee weapon attack. So you could use that even if you've got a cleric with a bow, you could deal that extra D8 radiant damage. That's cool. I really like that one too, honestly. Next up, the druid. A uh, whole bunch more spells, of course. Second level, Wild Companion. You gain the ability to summon a spirit that assumes an animal form. As an action, you can expend a use of your wild shape to cast the Find Familiar spell without material components. Uh, when you cast the spell in this way, it's a fey instead of a beast, and it disappears after a number of hours equal to half your druid level. Okay, that's actually really freaking cool. Because... Find Familiar is a really flexible spell that can let you summon a creature that is connected to you. You can often uh, do a lot of stuff through it. You can communicate with it telepathically. So the fact that it also is just using your wild shape as a resource, which is something that you have two of per short rest, means that you could still cast this spell to scout, transform into a bear yourself, and use that to actually wade into combat, and have this familiar available to scout for you and again a number of hours equal to half your druid level so the same time frame as the use of wild shape that is a really cool feature with a lot of flexibility and then also at fourth level they get the same ability to replace a cantrip as well moving on to the fighter Ooh, okay fighter has got a lot of things here actually so Fighters gain a fighting style option at first level. However, there are new options available as part of this now. So you get to pick one fighting style at first level usually, and there's only a handful of options, but it looks like there are five new options here. Blind fighting. You have blind sight within a range of 10 feet. You can see, you can effectively see anything that isn't behind total co cover, even if you're blinded or in darkness. And you can see an invisible creature within the range unless it has successfully hidden from you. That's fucking cool. Interception. Uh, when a creature you can see hits a target other than you within five feet of you with an attack, you can use your reaction to reduce the damage that the creature takes by 1d10 plus your proficiency bonus, to a minimum of zero damage. Uh, you must be wielding a shield or simpler martial weapon. That's also pretty cool. And again, because this is just a fighting style, like this isn't a resource thing like superiority dice. This is just, as long as you have your reaction, you can potentially just reduce that amount of damage. So even at first level, if you pick this, your proficiency bonus would be two. So reducing damage by 1d10 plus two just as a reaction every turn, can be massively helpful, even to a low-level party. Uh, actually, speaking of the uh, Battlemaster superiority dice, next up, superior technique. You learn one maneuver of your choice from among those available to the Battlemaster archetype. Uh, if it requires a saving throw, it's the usual DC, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you gain one superiority die, which is a D6. This is used to fuel your maneuvers, it's expended when you use it, and regained when you finish a short or long rest. Uh, I really, really like the Battlemaster Fighter. So the ability to learn one maneuver, even if you're a different fighter subclass, is beneficial. Or you could use this to gain an additional superiority die if you are a Battlemaster Fighter. So that's just really cool. So the next two are 
actually probably my favorite ones though, just because it is other fighting styles that are actually fighting styles. Thrown weapon fighting. You can draw a weapon that has the thrown property as part of the attack you make with the weapon. In addition, when you hit with a ranged attack using a thrown weapon, plus two to the damage roll. So I really, really like throwing weapons. Like that just actually is a hobby of mine. So the fact that you can build a D&D character with the thrown weapon fighting style, that it doesn't require, you know, some homebrew to be able to throw a weapon to just use that style as your D&D character. Like if you want to have, you know, you know, throwing a bunch of darts or throwing daggers or throwing axes if you really want to, which is just another thing that I do very much enjoy. Then the ability to do that and even gain a plus two to the damage roll. I really, really like that. And then uh, last up on the fighting styles front, unarmed fighting. Your unarmed strikes can deal bludgeoning damage equal to 1d6 plus your strength modifier on a hit. If you aren't wielding any weapons or a shield when you make the attack roll, the d6 becomes a d8. Also, at the start of each of your turns, you can deal 1d4 bludgeoning damage to one creature grappled by you. That actually has a lot going on in there. So normally, an unarmed strike is just one damage plus your strength mod. No roll, just the absolute minimum amount of damage possible. So the fact that it jumps up to a d6 even puts it ahead of, you know, the brawler feat, which gives you a d4. So the fact that you are specialized in unarmed fighting to immediately jump that up. I mean, honestly, there's even been rumors that I've heard about people that are thinking about builds of doing like a monk fighter multi-class just to get this at level one because it is so potentially convenient to boosting your unarmed fighting damage dice. And in addition, that second detail I feel is probably going to be overlooked by a lot of people, but is actually crazy useful in its own right. At the start of your turn to just deal automatic d4 bludgeoning damage if they're just grappled by you so as long as you just like are holding someone in just like a crushing hug the fact that you can deal automatic 1d4 bludgeoning damage without using your action just as a side effect of grappling them is massively beneficial as well so now we go on to the other feature which is martial versatility so this is at fourth level which is uh when they reach a class uh, a class when they reach a level in the class that grants ability score improvement they can also choose to replace their fighting style with another of the available options at, uh, or rather if you know any maneuvers from the battle master archetype you can replace a maneuver so again all that this is, is just when you reach certain levels to replace certain class features that are locked in. It appears to be the same across pretty much every class, but across every class. That's useful. And on to the monk. Dedicated weapon. Second level. Train yourself to use a variety of weapons as monk weapons, not just simple melee weapons and short swords. Whenever you finish a short or long rest, you can touch one weapon Focus your key on it, and then count that weapon as a monk weapon until you use this feature again. The weapon has to be a simple or martial weapon. You must be proficient with it, and it must lack the heavy and special properties. Ah, damn it. So, the special bit. <laughs> so no mall monk. Well, yeah. So mm. Using something like a uh, net isn't likely to go super well. 
But the fact that it is just an option to give them a weapon in addition to the typical listed options, just to be the character that you want to be. Wait, wait, like, what, what, what is the unknown damage of a monk? Uh, it grows as they level up. Right. But that, because I, I think it could be really cool, not gonna lie. Mm-hmm. Because, like, imagine if, uh, wait, heavy, fuck. Yeah, actually, yeah, that, that's a fair point. But I think it's really cool to have, like, just these more options for the players to have. Yeah. Do you want me to pull up the weapons list to actually just give an example of some of the options, just right. like to show how that could be helpful? That'd be cool. <laughs> I figured you'd ask, so I had it up. <laughs> so the only limit is that it cannot be heavy or reach, which does unfortunately eliminate a lot of the options, uh, which does irk me a bit. So you cannot use the lance you cannot uh use a pike you cannot use a halberd so being unable to use the glaive actually kind of pisses me off because you know the glaive is just you know by rules as written also considered to be a naginata which just is what i consider to be kind of a monk weapon so the fact that they do still restrict that irks me but so be it i don't work for wizards of the coast but what it does allow is something like a longsword. So if you want to play the kind of samurai archetype, this lets you do that by using a longsword, which you could just reskin to be a katana. Ba, ba, ba. Let's see, where was I? Ah, yes. Uh, third level, key-fueled attack. If you spend one key point or more as part of your action on your turn, you can make one attack with an unarmed strike or a monk weapon as a bonus action before the end of the turn. So this is one that I feel will confuse a lot of people because of how long the text is for the monk's martial arts. Normally, a monk can make one unarmed strike as a bonus action if they attack as an action. What this allows is that if they have just spent any key on their turn, they can make an attack with an Iron Strike or a Monk weapon. So this means that you could actually use your weapon instead of just punch them as your bonus action. Nifty. Fourth level, Quickened Healing. As an action, you can spend two key points and roll a martial arts die. You regain a number of hit points equal to the number rolled plus your proficiency bonus. This is actually another one that I feel is going to be massively either underappreciated or massively utilized. I'm honestly not sure. It just depends on how quickly people realize the massive benefit of this. Monk's key replenishes on a short rest. So if you have, like, even once you just get up to, you know, 10th level, even 8th level or so, like, let's say 8th level, you can do this four times to be able to heal yourself whatever you roll on your martial arts die plus your proficiency bonus four times and then with a short rest get your key back that is enormously beneficial fifth level focused aim when you miss with an attack roll you can spend one two three key points to increase the attack roll by two for each key spent potentially turning the miss into a hit that is fucking awesome. I love this one because key is a finite resource. So a monk does have to be careful to manage their supply. However, the ability to potentially turn a miss into a hit with that spending of key makes sense. And that just is a really powerful feature because a lot of monk abilities rely on a hit. I mean, 
that's true for all things, really. But the ability to just turn a miss into a hit using their consumable resource, like that is just a really good game balance ability, in my opinion. I really like that one. So next up, we go to the Paladin. So first off, as a partial spellcaster, they get a couple more spell options. So something else that I really like here. So fighters have their fighting styles, and usually that list is shared with the ranger or other classes that do also have a fighting style. However, the paladin at second level gains new fighting style options. Uh, some of them shared with the fighter, but one unique to the paladin here, which is awesome. You learn two can oh sorry, blessed warrior. You learn two cantrips of your choice from the cleric spell list. They count as paladin spells for you, and charisma is your spellcasting ability for them. Whenever you gain a level in this class, you can replace one of these cantrips with another cantrip from the cleric spell list. Hallelujah! One thing that has infuriated me about 5th edition paladins forever is the lack of cantrips. I hate that paladins don't get cantrips. So the fact that they finally have an ability to not just learn two cantrips without multi-classing in something else, without having to waste a feat to do it, but that they could just pick a fighting style to get two cantrips and even change them if necessary as they level up is glorious. Everyone knows where this rage is coming from. One time Remy tried to play a paladin, I was like, let's get prestidigitation. Oh, I can't get it. Oh! What? That's not how that happened at all. That's just why I never yeah, play sure. a paladin. Is because I mean, that, that kind of works. Like, honestly, I just am very, very pro-magic in D&D. So the He's fact that pro magic. yes, I mean you, I, you've heard me listen. Rant Remy on that is pro magic, guys. We all know his political opinions. Pro magic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean to be fair, you're not wrong. Circle of truth would change politics. <laughs> anyway, but no, but giving paladins the ability to get cantrips is just massively underappreciated. Uh, just the fact that it does give them that option to have a more magic focused paladin that doesn't rely just on weapon usage is it uh, it just makes me happy <laughs> but uh, like honestly i have a bias for that one for obvious reasons but the, i again completeness is also my shtick so they do also have the fighting style options of blind fighting same as the fighters as well as the interception where they can reduce damage with the reaction same as the fighters uh, next up is at third level they get to harness divine power which is, again, much like the uh, clerics, where they can expend a use of their channel divinity to fuel their spells. As a bonus action, they can regain an expended spell slot up to half their proficiency bonus, and then uh, gain the ability to do that more times as they level up. Uh, what is kind of interesting to me about that is that a third level spell slot for a cleric like is relatively low because they're a full spellcaster and eventually are casting ninth level spells anyway but as a half caster a paladin will only ever get up to fifth level spells so a third level paladin spell is arguably a little bit more oomph than the equivalent cleric so it is arguably even more useful for a paladin to have that additional option and then again, much like the fighter, at fourth level, they have martial versatility, where at levels granting ability score improvement, they can replace their fighting style with one of the other options. 
onwards to the ranger. Starting at first level with Deft Explorer, which replaces the uh, natural explorer feature. You are an unsurpassed explorer and survivor, both in the wilderness and in dealing with others on your travels. You gain the canny benefit below, and you gain a, an additional benefit when you reach 6th level and 10th level in the class. So canny at first level. Choose one of your skill proficiencies, and your proficiency doubles for an ability check you make using the chosen skill. So expertise by any other name. Uh, also, you gain the ability to speak, read, and write two additional languages of your choice. At 6th level, you also gain roving, which increases your walking speed by 5 feet, and you gain a climbing speed and a swimming speed equal to your level. Then at 10th level, you gain tireless. As an action, you can give yourself temporary hit points equal to 1d8 plus your wisdom modifier. And you can do it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain uses when you finish a long rest. In addition, whenever you finish a short rest, your exhaustion level, if any, is decreased by one. So the last one's actually pretty nifty. To actually reduce exhaustion by a short rest, that could be useful in the right uh, campaign. So yeah, basically just a way to get rid of the natural explorer class feature and actually give you something useful. I have biases, I know. Speaking of, uh, also a first first level ranger, uh, favored foe, which replaces the favorite enemy feature, but does work with foe slayer. When you hit a creature with an attack roll, you can call on your mystical bond with nature to mark the target as your favorite enemy for one minute or until you lose concentration as if it were a spell. First time on your on each of your turns that you hit the favorite enemy and damage it, you can increase the damage by 1d4. And you can use this feature to mark a favorite enemy a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. And the extra damage increases to a d6 at when you reach 6th level and to a d8 at 14th level. This explicitly deals with another very common complaint about rangers, which is normally if takes a spell slot to actually mark your enemy because it's a freaking spell for reasons that no one understands but now they actually just make it a class feature and are just basically plugging the air and say la 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 we've already done the thing la 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 i i have biases against strangers i'm sorry (laughs) anyway uh rangers also get new spells available at second level they also get uh fighting style options at second level so they are they gain access to the blind fighting one, the thrown weapon one, as well as a unique one of their own druidic warrior, which gives them two cantrips from the druid spell list that count as ranger spells for them using wisdom as their spellcasting modifier and replaceable as they level up. Well, same as the paladin, same complaint even. Why don't these half-casting spell classes have cantrips of their own? I don't know what you're talking about. There's an option for them right there. (laughs) Uh, Now the last one here. Oh, sorry, not last one. Wow, rangers get a lot, apparently. Uh, Next one up, rather, for rangers, also at second level, spellcasting focus. Because before, no one actually knew how rangers were supposed to be able to cast their spells without a spellcasting focus. So here it's spelled out. Uh, you can use a druidic focus as a spellcasting focus for ranger spells. It might be a sprig of mistletoe or holly, a wand or rod made of yew or another special wood, a staff, 
drawn whole from a living tree, or an object incorporating feathers for bones and teeth from sacred animals. So yet another... <laughs> yep, they can cast spells uh, with that thing. It was always that way. Yep, yep, that's totally what we meant. Anyway, third level, Primal Awareness, which removes the Primeval Awareness feature, which lets you focus your awareness through nature to learn additional spells uh, that don't count against the number of ranger spells you know. So in other words, uh, just it's a class feature to just let them know more spells, and as a bonus also, lets them cast each of these spells once without using a spell slot once per long rest. Uh, fourth level, they gain the same old uh, martial versatility to let them replace their fighting style at levels that would normally be able to grant ability score improvement. And even up to 10th level now, Nature's Veil, to replace the hide-in-sight, uh, hide-in-plain-sight feature. Draw on the powers of nature to hide yourself. As a bonus action, you can magically become invisible, along with any equipment you're carrying or wearing, until the start of your next turn. And able to use the feature a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, refreshing on a long rest. So... Short-term invisibility, however, what is important to point out here with that feature, it is a short duration, but does not break when you make an attack roll like the initial invisibility spell. So the spell makes you visible when you attack. This class feature does not. So yeah, it doesn't last very long, but that can still be massively beneficial in the right circumstances. Onwards to the rogue! Oh boy. So this only has a single class feature, but it is a good one, and I will absolutely be trying to convince Nathan to let me have this later. Third level, Steady Aim. As a bonus action, you give yourself advantage on your next attack roll on the current turn. You can use this bonus action only if you haven't moved during this turn, and after you use the bonus action, your speed is zero until the end of the current turn. So in other words, you cannot move at all during the current turn. So if you don't move and use your bonus action, you are able to give yourself advantage. So this is an enormous boon for rogues who want to be able to use their sneak attack without having a class feature that lets them use it, without having any allies that have reached it yet. So if you're in a situation where you're really far away from someone and like they're charging at you, but your allies aren't next to them yet, and you don't want to have to waste your reaction with like a prepared action. So to have this feature is massively beneficial as an option where if your character can just, you know, bunker down somewhere to just aim, fire. And that's actually the only one for rogues, interestingly. So moving right along to the sorcerer. Uh, sorcerers get a long list of new spell options, so that's a yay. Uh, at third level, there are new metamagic options! I really, really like metamagic. Like, the ability to just kind of tweak the way that a spell works, like, that just hits all of my buttons. So, there are two new options to pick for metamagic. Seeking spell. If you make an attack roll and miss, uh, sorry, make an attack roll for a spell and miss, rather, you can spend two sorcery points to re-roll the d20 and must use the new roll. You can use seeking spell, even if you've already used a different metamagic option during the casting of the spell. That's awesome, because sometimes if you've already spent a couple of points 
to do some other metamatic magic option. Like maybe you're trying to, you know, kill someone before they can charge up to you. So it's important that you hit them. This gives you an option to re-roll your d20 just through the use of sorcery points. That can be massively beneficial in the right circumstances. And then the other one, transmuted spell. When you cast a spell that deals a type of damage from the following list, you can spend one sorcery point to change that damage type to one of the others listed. Acid, cold, fire, lightning, poison, thunder. That is actually another one that I feel is really going to be underappreciated, but can be hugely handy because there are going to be times where a creature might be resistant or immune to a specific damage type that you've built your character around. So if you do have like the type of sorcerer, especially who is like focused as like just a fire mage specifically, then to have this as that backup option to change your damage type in those situations where you really need to can be hugely beneficial. Or if you do, uh, you know, succeed on a knowledge check to figure out that some kind of creature is vulnerable to a specific damage type to make your damage into that type. So to avoid resistance immunities, to hit vulnerabilities, or just for the fucking style of it, I really like how beneficial that could potentially be. Then fourth level sorceress versatility. Uh, given that it's the fourth level feature, I figure most of you probably know where this is going by now. When they reach the levels where you can use ability score improvement, normally you can change out your metamagic option or change out one of your cantrips. Nifty. And then last up for sorcerers here, fifth level magical guidance. When you make an ability check that fails, you can spend one sorcery point to re-roll the d20 and must use the new roll, potentially turning failure into a success. That's amazing. The ability to have another option for sorcery points out of combat to be able to re-roll an ability check is awesome. Just, ah, uh, that's a, just a good one. And next up, Warlocks! Yay! Uh, first off, Warlocks get a massive expansion to the list of spells available to them. Yay! Uh, what is uh, actually a pretty big one here, though, at third level, they gain a new Pact Boon option. So normally there's only three boons available like for the entire history of 5th edition Warlocks, and now they're introducing a fourth option, Pact of the Talisman. Uh, your patron gives you a thing. Uh, when the wearer fails an ability check, they can add a d4 to the roll, potentially turning the roll into a success. This benefit can be used a number of times, equal to your proficiency bonus, refreshing on a long rest. Uh, if you lose it, you can get it back with a one-hour ceremony, which turns the old one into dust. Uh, also, it turns to dust when you die. That's just another nifty option. So by picking that packed boon, it gives you the option to, again, a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, just add a d4 to a failed ability check to potentially turn it into a success. That's also cool. And the fourth level feature for Warlocks, Eldritch Versatility, which, same as always, at levels where ability score improvement happens, replace a cantrip, replace a packed boon feature, or, if you're 12th level or higher, replace a spell from your Mystic Arcanum with another Warlock spell. That's awesome. 
because again, normally when you do pick things for spellcasters, you are locked into those options. The, the ability to change them as you level up is good. And Eldritch Invocations, yet another of the things that just make Warlocks a much more versatile class than a lot of people give it credit for. New Eldritch Invocations. Bond of the Talisman, so only available for 12th level Warlocks who've picked the Pact of the Talisman. If someone else is wearing your Talisman, you can use your action to teleport to the, uh, the unoccupied space closest to, to them, as long as you're on the same plane of existence. The wearer of your talisman can do the same thing, using their action to teleport to you. Uh, teleportation can be used a number of times, equal to your proficiency bonus, and all expended uses are restored when you finish a long rest. That is amazing. And another one that I feel is going to be underappreciated because this is something that is worth thinking about from the world building perspective and not just the adventuring perspective. Imagine if there are situations where you have, you know, a warlock advisor to royalty who is bond, who has this bond of the talisman and they have their talisman worn by, you know, the king or queen and then if there is some kind of emergency, this allows a royal who may not be a well-trained spellcaster in their own right a magical option to teleport away. And that power to just teleport out of danger can be beneficial to way more than just adventurers, although it is, of course, massively beneficial to them as well. Uh, they also have the other Eldritch invocation option here, Eldritch Mind. Advantage on concentration saving throws to maintain concentration. Simple, useful. Far Scribe requires Pact of the Tome and 5th level Warlock. A new page appears in your Book of Shadows. With your permission, a creature can use this action to write its name on that page, which can, can contain a number of names equal to your proficiency bonus. You can cast the Sending Spell, targeting a creature whose name is on the page without using a spell slot and without using material components. Uh, to do so, you must write the message on the page. The target hears the message in their mind, and if the target replies, the message appears on the page rather than in your mind. Disappears after a minute. As an action, you can magically erase a name on the page by touching it. Again, this is another one that really should require thought from the world-building perspective. Instant communication is a game-changer to humanoid society. So having there be this magical option that is usable a few times without spell slots, but yeah, that's just massively, massively game-changing. All right, Gift of the Protectors requires Pact of the Tome again and ninth level Warlock. New page in your Book of Shadows. Creature can use its action to write its name in the page with your permission, equal to proficiency bonus. There's a lot of proficiency bonus stuff in this book, I've noticed. Anyway, uh, when any creature whose name is on the page is reduced to zero hit points but not killed outright, the creature magically drops to one hit point instead. Once this magic is triggered, no creature can benefit from it until you finish a long rest. Uh, action can magically erase the name of the page. That's awesome. This is one that could also be amazingly beneficial for an adventuring party. So you can have this be every member in your party has their name in your book, and then the first time each day that one of them would be reduced to zero hit points, it only drops them to one instead. That's awesome. 
Investment of the Chain Master requires the Pact of the Chain feature. When you cast Find Familiar, you infuse your Summon Familiar with a measure of your Eldritch Power, which grants them either a flying speed or swimming speed of 40 feet. As a bonus action, you can command the Familiar to take the attack action. The Familiar's weapon attacks are considered magical for the purpose of overcoming immunity and resistance. Uh, if the familiar forces a creature to make a saving throw, it uses your spell save DC. Okay, that one I need to take a quick tangent on because that's amazing. Because the imp has a really low DC saving throw on the poison that their tail has. So the fact that this feature, if you do make use of the imp familiar or just anything that is poisonous, to make it use your spell save DC is massively beneficial. Uh, anyway, it also uh, has a final one here. Uh, when the familiar takes damage, you can use your reaction to grant it resistance against that damage. So yes, it uses your reaction, but to have the damage that your familiar would have taken, that is a really, really good invocation. And the fact that it is only restricted to Path of the Chain, but not by level, is actually a pretty fair balance. So I actually quite like that one as well. Protection of the Talisman. Seventh level Warlock, Pact of the Talisman required. When the wearer of your Talisman fails a saving throw, they can add a 1d4 uh, to the roll, potentially turning the save into a success. Number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. So the same effect that you would normally have can be granted to others who wear it. Nifty. Rebuke of the Talisman. When the wearer of your talisman is hit by an attacker you can see within 30 feet, you can use your reaction to deal psychic damage to the attacker equal to your proficiency bonus and push it up to 10 feet away from the talisman's wearer. That is awesome. And because it says wearer of your talisman, that works whether you're wearing it or if someone else is wearing it, wearing your talisman. But the fact that it is, it uses your reaction, but deals automatic damage and automatic push without a saving throw. That can be massively situationally useful. And then finally, the last one for Warlocks here, Undying Servitude. Uh, needs to be a 5th level Warlock, though. You can cast Animate Dead without using a spell slot uh, once per long rest. Nifty. So that's more along the lines of how a lot of other uh, Warlock invocations work, where it is just cast one spell once without a spell slot. So still useful. And finally, we get on to wizards. So first things first, a whole lot of new spells. And then at third level, cantrip formulas. You have scribed a set of arcane formulas in your spellbook that you could use to formulate a cantrip in your mind. Whenever you finish a long rest and consult those formulas in your spellbook, you can replace one wizard cantrip you know with another cantrip from the wizard spell list. That is massive. Most other classes had the whole versatility option instead at fourth level to replace rarely. Wizards with this feature can replace, their, replace a cantrip every day. That is amazing. And again, a fantastic option to make them more flexible just in daily life and in combat. So, Nathan, you still here? Yes. 
I'm curious, do a lot of these options sound just appealing to implement to you, or did any of them stick out to you as like that wouldn't suit how I want to play the game? I think generally speaking, most of them fit within uh, what I feel is okay. Yeah, like, but oops, sorry. Yeah, it's it's it, yeah, sorry. Uh, it's that kind of thing that you know I'll probably have to you know g give it a once over to think deeper about them. You know. Yeah, but in summary, what all of these optional class features do is just increase the versatility of damn near any type of character that can be played and anything that does offer additional versatility customization to just make a character the way that you want it to be is something that i do highly recommend making use of okay let's see Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier starts low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at Ruffwick Podcast, or on Facebook as Ruffwick, on Reddit, on the subreddit r slash Ruffwick Podcast, and you can send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffs, A and D rules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.